I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, again, my name's Tyler. I'm from Coa Brookline. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, good to be with you guys. I think I was here a couple times over the summer, so glad to be back. Uh, also, really good to see some of you at the, the network retreat last weekend. Um, for those of you who couldn't come, it was a really good time. The, the theme was on point. The talks were on point. The, the worship band was phenomenal. Um, the food was okay. The coffee was like paste. Uh, but it's a really good weekend, those things aside. So encourage you, there's always next year. Um, and uh, so, glad to be with you guys, glad to be in Romans 12. I have to say I'm a little sad we didn't do Genesis 5. It's every guest preacher's dream. Every guest preacher's dream to come to a church on Sunday that they don't normally go to and preach Old Testament genealogies where people live for thousands of years. So, maybe next time. Eight, oh, 8,000, sorry, I was wrong, see? This is why I'm not preaching on it. This is why I'm not preaching on it, yeah. Um, so again, we're in Romans 12, um, and, and these are uh, probably some of the more well-known verses to you all if you've been around the church for some time, and maybe you've heard these, and so I'm really excited to kind of dive in and just take a look at what got us to say through these um, verses to us. So uh, as Fletcher mentioned, um, my wife and I, Ashlyn, we have a 10-month-old, right, a 10-month-old daughter, and so um, she's our first kiddo, and so we've been kind of navigating the ups and downs of, of being new parents lately, and one of the, the downers for me uh, more lately that I've been focusing on is, is just the fact that, like, she just, like, loves Ashlyn more. Like, she, like, any other dads, like, understand, like, it's just the, the, the young child's affection for her mother outweighs the affection she has for me by, like, tenfold, right? And so um, I'm just kind of grappling with that, thinking through that, and one day I go to pick her up at daycare. This was, like, not even a week ago, and usually Ashlyn and I, we, we do this together, right? It's, it's not too far from our house. It's like an eight-minute walk. It's a really lovely walk, and we use it as a time to check in and just chat, see how the day went. Um, and uh, it was just me this time, and, and I walk into the daycare center, and normally when, when both her and I walk in, she's really excited. She lights up. like She, she uh, is playing with the toys, and she looks up and sees us, and a huge smile comes across her face. She gets up, and she walks over to us. Shout out to Addie, who started walking like two weeks ago. And uh, she walks up to us, and she like reaches for us, and she's just so excited. And um, the, the daycare teacher, she'll pick Addie up and um, hold her in her arms as we're kind of looking at her, and she'll, uh, Addie will look at us and look at the teacher, look at us, look at the teacher, and just be like, can you believe they're here for me? They love me so much. I love them so much. That's, that's how our daughter is. And then we reach to grab her out of the daycare teacher's hands, and she's all smiles, and she reaches back. That's normally what it's like. But this time, when it's just dad, it's like I don't even exist. Right, I walk in, and she looks at me and looks back at her toys and doesn't even, like, doesn't even, doesn't even recognize me. And I'm stunned. I'm hurt, right? I'm like, Addie, hi. Oh, my gosh, Addie. You're, you're so cute. I love you so much. I'm so glad to see you. And, like, nothing. Nothing. Blank stare. And, again, daycare teacher has to go get her because she doesn't work her way to, to me at the front of the, the gate and um, brings her over. And uh, I, I try to kind of get in Addie's face a little bit just to, like, make her smile, make her laugh. And this is the worst part. She, like, looked away. I was like, nah, nah. And I was upset, right? I was astonished. I was like, Addie, Addie, what? Don't you, like, don't you want me? 
Like, I'm your dad. Don't you love me? I think all of us can kind of understand this feeling, right? Whether you have a kid or, or, or not, right? Whether it's just that one peer that seems to be friends with everyone else except for you, whether it's uh, a supervisor or a coworker, you want their approval, their recognition. We all want to be wanted. And the more valuable that other person is for you, the more you desire that. And so in our passage today, when, when you read it really closely, it actually kind of presents this idea that God, the God who created everything you see and everything you don't see, right? Genesis 1, 2, we, we work through that. That very same God wants you. That very same God desires you. And that's something, maybe you've been a Christian for some time, and so you, you're like, yeah, of course. And we say that kind of flippantly, right? Like, like in Christian language, like God just wants your heart. God wants you to invite him into your heart, which is true. But Romans 12 introduces this idea of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. In other words, God doesn't just want, want your heart. He wants all of you. Right? He wants your whole life. Your heart, your soul, your time, your money, the things you think about. And so our main point, kind of big idea for today, is just simply God wants your whole self. God wants your whole self. And we'll explore this passage and this idea in two ways. Paul kind of lays out two things for us. Really simple. What and how. What and how. What to do and how to do it. So this idea that, that God wants our whole self, what do we do with that? Right, the answer in our passage is described as presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. So we'll talk about what that means. Talk about what to do. And second, after we lay that out, Paul gives some insight in this passage on how we are to do that. He prohibits some things and then encourages us to, encourages us to do some other things. So what to do and how to do it. If you're here and, and you don't consider yourself a Christian, this isn't so much a challenge as it is like, hey, let's, let's just, just marinate on some of these things. Right? If I can just say this again, all of us at our core, we want to be wanted. In some way, shape, or form, there is a longing to be desired, right? Whether it's a spouse, a family member, or, or someone else, or even some sort of uh, divine being, right? If you don't believe in the Christian God, maybe there's some other uh, uh, creator, some other thing that you believe in, and, and you desire them to want you. Right, a famous actress once said, there is nothing more precious in the world than being wanted. I think Christian or not, we all kind of track with that a little bit. And so my challenge, my thing I want you to marinate on is, is take that feeling, that desire, and genuinely ask yourself, whether it's a spouse or whatever, if you got that, would it be enough? And then compare that, if there is in fact a God who created everything. And he gave himself up entirely for you in Jesus. And this God of the universe, the pas our passage says, wants you. Compare that with that. That sounds way more appealing. That sounds way more sustaining, way more fruitful, way more enjoyable, way more satisfying, doesn't it? So before we dive into our first point, what to do, I want to work through just, just the beginning of the verses briefly. Look how the passage starts. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So in this phrase, Paul's referring to what he previously said in Romans uh, chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11. Everything before. Right? It's, which is just this beautiful description, essentially, of Christian salvation. 
right? And, and he, exp- he goes into the, the depths and the valleys of these things and the peaks of these things. He talks about how God saves us through Christ, how Christ deeply loves us, how Christ is the truer and better Adam. He dives into these things, and, and he chooses to sum all of them up with this phrase, the mercies of God. And so Paul is setting us up first to realize, before he tells us what to do, he wants to tell us why we should do it. He wants to, us to feel compelled to do it for good reason. He doesn't want us to confusingly mistake God as just some demanding king who's distant from his subjects and just requires submission. But he wants to paint a clear picture. God is a tender, loving, merciful father whose love and mercy towards us ought to be the driving factor for our love for him whose love and mercy towards us ought to be the driving factor in what we do for him and in what we do for others. Because in our passage, God does ask us to do something. Right? He asks us to present ourselves as living sacrifices. And he wants to be very clear. I ask this of you out of a deep love and desire for you. And so some of you here, like we, some of us grew up in churches, some of us grew up in homes where, where all we heard about was God, what God wants you to do or what God doesn't want you to do. But we never heard this idea that God wants you. Right, that God loves you, your whole self. That God desires you. When pastor said, Jesus doesn't want your things, he wants you. And so, of course, God does want us to do things, but not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of devotion. Because through Christ, he was fiercely devoted to us. And he wants you to present yourself as a living sacrifice to him because Jesus presented himself to God and to us as a living sacrifice on our behalf. And so it's important to realize when we talk about verses like this, when we talk about doing things for God, when we talk about presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, that what God did and does comes first. This is a theme we see all over scripture, right? First John, we love because why? Because he first loved us. B.T. Forsyth, he's a Scottish theologian, he noted Christianity is not the sacrifice we make, but the sacrifice we trust. And so this really changes kind of how you approach God and how you approach doing things for God. Right? It's more compelling. It's, it's more sustaining. I think you can get a better glimpse into this. Just, just survey kind of your, your relationships here on, here on earth, right? Do you want a husband or a wife who does things for you out of compulsion or simply does things for you just because they're married to you and they kind of want to keep the status quo? Or do you want someone that does things for you out of a deep love and desire for you and to serve you and to love you well? Right, or maybe at work, maybe you supervise some, some, some employees. Right? Do you want them um, doing their work just because they want a paycheck and just because it's the job that needs to get done? Or do you want them to see you as someone with um, a, a loving care and, and guidance and, and someone that supervises them well and supports them well, and then out of that, they work for you and they do their job. It's the same thing with God. So while there are times and there are seasons where we do need to obey for obedience sake, God ultimately wants us serving, loving, and communing with him from a place of understanding the fact that he served us, he loved us, and he wants to commune with us first. And so as we dive into our first point, exploring what it is we are to do, remember, it's out of love that God asks us to do these things. It's out of God's love for us in Christ that we ought to be almost delightfully persuaded 
to do so, right? Paul is saying, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He's making this appeal. He's telling you, consider the things that God has done for you. Internalize those, ponder those, and then go do these things for him. It's important that that's first. So, he tells us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's what we are to do. So let's talk about what that means. The phrase living sacrifice is this idea, just quite simply, that we view our lives as God's and not our own. Right? The word sacrifice, I think a lot of Old Testament Jews would very clearly understand that, okay, this is, this is something that we give to God entirely. It's usually for something, but whether it's an animal or a peace offering or something they burn, it's, it's something given to God entirely, something that God owns entirely. And so what this verse is saying then is your life in its entirety is to be used by God for God as God pleases. And I find it interesting that, that Paul uses the word body, right? I think if we think about it a little more deeply, something like life or heart or soul might make more sense. But what Paul is trying to communicate is, is that with the word body is that not, not some sort of necessarily physical sacrifice, although that's part of it, but rather the entirety of yourself being sacrificed to God. Not just part of you, not just part of your life. And some of us need to be reminded of that, right? Some of us need to be reminded of what the passage doesn't tell us to sacrifice alone. It doesn't say just present your money as a living sacrifice, although that's part of it. Fletcher just talked about giving. Make sure we're giving. It doesn't say just present your nine to five job as a living sacrifice. It doesn't say just present your time, just present your Sunday morning and your Wednesday mornings as a living sacrifice or Wednesday evenings. All these things are included in that. But remember, Jesus doesn't want your things. He wants you. I think it's important because you can sacrifice those things to Jesus and still not know Jesus. And maybe that's some of us here. We do all the things. We do all the church things, right? Come here on Sunday morning. Maybe you get here early. You, you help. You serve by making the coffee. You serve by getting the kids' area ready. You run the slides. You go to community group on Wednesday night. Maybe you even read your Bible throughout the week. Maybe you're active in the church. You're meeting with people, getting coffees. But we haven't given ourselves up entirely to God sometimes. Jonathan Edwards describes this idea well. He had, he had a moment in life where he kind of like dedicated himself to God. And it was kind of in light of this passage in Romans 12. And so he's describing this idea of presenting himself as a loving sacrifice. So he says this in his journal entry. He says, I have been before God and have given myself all that I am and have to God, so that I am not in any respect my own. I have no right to this body or any of its members, no right to this tongue, these hands, these feet, no right to these senses, these eyes, these ears, this smell or this taste. And he concludes his journal entry like this. He asks God, he says, to receive me now as entirely his own, to deal with me in all respects as such, whether he afflicts me or prospers me or whatever he pleases to do with me. And so Edwards is painting this clear picture that he views his life as not his own in its entirety. Notice, too, he emphasizes whatever God wants to do with my life, it's not my own. Right, that's an extra step that we need to take, too. I think it's easy for us to say, God, if you have good plans for me, then, yeah, my life's yours. But if your plans for me involve suffering of any kind, I don't know. I think I'm better off just trying to navigate things myself. The verse goes on to say, present your bodies, your entire self as a living sacrifice to God. 
holy and acceptable, set apart and accepted by God. And this is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, and this is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship part, this, this, this section of the verse ought to actually kind of give us some, some hope. If you think about it really deeply. Why? Because if you present yourself, present your body, your entire self as a living sacrifice to God, it's going to take you to hard places. Places where you might not want to worship. Places where you might not be able to kind of stand up and extend your hands and, and physically utter the words, God, you are good, it is well with my soul. God might lead you to places where you just cannot do that. But the implications of this verse then are when you can't praise with your lips, you can still praise with your life. And so when it just hurts so much or you're so confused, you lost your kid, your husband's abusive, or it's just a hard time at work, and you can't say, God, you are good. There is comfort in the fact that God is still pleased with our long, steady, sometimes silent obedience. And that this sacrifice to the Lord is worshipful, is pleasing. That even in the silence, God is still pleased with our sacrifice. God wants us to present ourselves in our entirety in our entirety as a living sacrifice. That's what God wants us to do. Our passage, Paul also tells us how to do it. Look at verse two with me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now this verse, this verse could totally stand on its own, right? You could totally do a whole sermon on this verse and, and it would have its own main point and be just fine. But we're gonna break it into two parts. First, he tells us, do not be conformed to this world. And then second, he tells us to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. First, do not be conformed, conformed to this world. The, the root of the word conform in, in Latin really just means to be shaped or molded by. And so it's almost this idea of like passive conformity. Right? It's almost as if Paul's saying, don't let the world shape you without you knowing it. And so to just make this really practical, I was thinking about this, like how do people usually conform to the world? It's usually two things, and these things certainly overlap, but it's usually the people they're around, and it's usually the things they pay the most attention to. Kind of the things they spend the most time on. Right, and study after study confirms this. And scripture, thousands and thousands of years earlier, confirmed this idea that who you spend time with the most, you will become like them. Right, Proverbs 13, those who walk with the wise will be wise, but those who walk with fools will suffer. And so yes, there's some nuance to this. Right, we're still called to engage with people that aren't Christians. We're still called to be uh, friends with people that don't share or believe the same things and to share the love of Christ and do life with them. But in order to not conform to the world, at least in terms of who influences you, most of our time or most of our influence should be coming from brothers and sisters in Christ who are attempting to live out their faith in a similar way that we are. As a small like, aside, the, the people that I see do this best usually have four, um, I hate to put people in boxes, four people in their lives, right? They usually have someone they're discipling who maybe they're a little more mature than them. They usually have a fair amount of peers that are kind of in the same life stage or same spiritual maturity. They usually have someone that's discipling them, not always older, but often older, more spiritually mature. And then they have a fair amount of non-Christian friends, whether it be from their work, from their classes, from their neighborhood, 
And I'm sure you've seen, you know, people kind of extrapolate this verse to mean that we should not be in the world at all. We should not at all engage with people that don't believe what we believe. But the rest of the Bible refutes that idea entirely, right? The, the life of Jesus refutes that idea. He hung out with some of the worst people of the day. But notice, of these four kinds of people, three of the four of them are Christians. And so if you navigate this properly, most of the influence in your life will come from other brothers and sisters in Christ. So people are a major influence in conforming to the world or avoiding to do so. But so are other things we spend time on, right? Whether it's news, Netflix, books, video games. I saw a stat recently that said the average American consumes 100,000 words per week between social media and TV. 100,000 words. That's the equivalent of two average-sized books. How much do you think those people are being shaped by those things? How much do you think we are being shaped by those things? Right, I'm not condemning Netflix. I love Netflix. I'm not condemning Twitter. Twitter's all right. I don't like the news, not going to lie. But when those things start to shape your beliefs and how you view the world more than Scripture, more than your time in prayer and communing with God, and more than God's people do, then you're being shaped and molded by the world. And a small exercise that's going to, in some way, shape, or form, upset everyone. Small exercise to, to, to see if you're being shaped by the world. I'm going to read two news headlines, and then I'm going to read two scriptures after it. You think to yourself, which one of these things, whether it's the news line or the scripture, is shaping how you view the world, is shaping how you treat other people? The first news line, a formal federal prosecutor says Donald Trump should be arrested promptly after unlawfully taking classified records. Is that shaping your thinking? the way you view things more than the scripture, which tells us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Which of those two things is consuming more of your thinking? One more, just to be politically correct. Biden mocked for claiming there are 54 states. This guy is completely senile. Compare that to this scripture but shaping your thinking more. If you lo love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Of these things, what's taking up more of your thinking? Are you spending more time with the news or with God? Paul says, don't let this happen. Don't be shaped by the world. In our verse, he doesn't just give a prohibition. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, don't do this. He also gives us something to do instead. Right? He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Key on, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. When Paul tells us to be transformed, he means something entirely new. Not just an upgraded version. Right? Not iPhone 13 to iPhone 14. So I know that I just upgraded from an XR to a 14. It's like not as good as I thought it was going to be. I'm a little upset. I waited four years to do that thing, thinking I was going to have like a world of a different phone. It's the same. Just a little faster. 
No, he wants us to be transformed, right? Like, like the original iPod shuffle to iPhone. Like caterpillar to butterfly. And he gives us the recipe on how to do that. This little phrase, by the renewal of your mind. Some thoughts on that phrase that I think are interesting. The Greek word for renewal doesn't really convey a one-time event. It doesn't convey the snap of a finger and you're renewed. It conveys a continual process. So you could add that. You could say, be transformed by the continued renewal of your mind. And that would be an accurate way to translate that verse. And that's important for us to realize that renewing our minds is a continual process. Right? It's continually engaging with God and the things of God and, and, and the people of God as a source of our renewal. It's not a glorified New Year's resolution. It's not just pure grit, right? trying to become a better person. Because ultimately, we can't do that. There's nothing we can do on our own to renew our mind. What's maybe even more interesting, that, that other verb, transform, it's in the passive. Passive tense, what does that mean? It means we're not the ones doing it. We aren't the ones transforming ourselves. Someone else is. God is. And so that means that nothing you do or don't do brings about the transformation or the renewal. It is God himself through the power of the gospel that brings that forth. And yet God calls us to walk with him as he does this. There is a part of cooperation that we play. Though he's in control, he invites us into this. You renew your mind by focusing and taking in the things of God, scripture, prayer, worship, communion with God's people, communion itself, all the means of grace that are available to us. Small example of how this works, and then we'll wrap up. Um, years ago, like three, four, or five years ago, I was working with um, a group of guys who we also came together, and, um, and somewhere or another, they were all struggling with lust or pornography or something of that nature. So we would meet every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. I don't know why we chose then. We would meet every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and just as a form of accountability. All right, see how, see how, you're, how you're doing. And a few weeks in, I just, I just kind of realized, like, no one was progressing. And I also realized the conversation kept focusing on results. Not that we shouldn't focus on that, but that's the only thing we focused on. How many times this week did you mess up? Did you keep yourself out of compromising situations? Did you call someone else in this group when you felt tempted? And we notice little to no improvement. We should be asking those questions. But they shouldn't be the only ones we asked. But we shifted. We didn't explicitly look at this verse, but we kind of grabbed onto the idea, transformation, renewal, comes from the power of the gospel. And so, instead of just asking how many times did you mess up this week, we asked, were you able to be in the scriptures this week? How was your walk with God this week? Were you able to pray some? And what do you think happened? We started noticing improvements. People started growing in their relationship with God, and then out of that, they started growing away from this addiction to lust or whatever it was. The ability to not conform comes from the transforming power of the gospel. And when we started focusing on that, then we started experiencing renewal.
then we start experiencing transformation. So as we close, just a few thoughts. This idea that God wants your whole self. For some of us, that does mean taking that first step. Right, if you're here and you're, you're not sure about Jesus, there is some sense in which I just want to say, give it a try. Right, what does it look like to trust in Christ? You probably want transformation. You probably want renewal. You probably want to be a new and better person. And what God offers you through that is so much more than those things. It's a relationship with him. But for some of us, it's that first step. It's trusting in Christ. For others of us who've been walking with Christ, some for a long time, maybe we've stopped pursuing the renewal of our minds. Or at best, maybe we just stop paying attention to it. That story I shared at the beginning with Addie not wanting to kind of interact with me or say hello with me, it was in part because she was so distracted by everything else around her, whether it's her toys or someone else. Maybe it's just we're not giving our whole selves to God. Maybe we're not sacrificing our entire lives. Maybe we're still compartmentalizing our faith. Or keep trying to put God in a box and say, stay in this lane, stay in your lane. Your lane in my life is Sunday mornings, Wednesday night CGs, and maybe one other thing a week. But God wants your whole self. God wants all of you. So I'm going to pray. Um, and whenever, wherever you find yourself, just consider what that next step is. God wants your whole self. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us to do things for you, to walk with you, to love you, to love others, out of first you having a love for us. God, we are thankful that you are a loving tender, merciful Father who does those things first, who sets the example for us. God, help us to trust in that first. Then help us to seek transformation, renewal from a place of not just loving you, but being loved by you. God, help us to live for you entirely. Help us to give our entire selves to you. In the name we ask these things, Jesus. Amen.